episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. Today's episode is brought to you by Twinbrook Capital Partners, a direct lending finance company focused on providing cash flow-based financing solutions for the middle market private equity community. My guest on the podcast today is Rich Christensen, a senior partner with Twinbrook, who joins me to talk about working with private equity sponsors this year to navigate the disruption caused by COVID-19 and some of the deal and lending trends that are underway. Rich, thanks for joining me. Yeah, you're welcome. Good to be here. So let's start by going back in time to the spring of this year when the coronavirus first appeared on the scene and the economic fallout really began. Can you talk about what those early days were like for you and the Twinbert team and and what kinds of conversations you were having with sponsors during that period? Yeah, great question. And it it actually seems like a couple of years ago, but uh, I guess we're we're about six months, uh, six months behind us. You know, certainly on the front end, we spent a lot of focus around understanding the near-term impacts to performance and just liquidity around portfolio companies. And that was both us as well as our sponsors. I mean, I would say the situation in a lot of ways was unprecedented and just very little in terms of a playbook, you know, what to do for businesses that have been totally fine pre-COVID and now we're in a complete shutdown of the economy. And and the pace of it was unprecedented. I mean, we've all been through the downturn, uh, the Great Recession, and, and this was just a significantly faster pace. You know, a lot of broad uncertainty across the economy and the market. So in numerous cases, our clients, you know, we had worked with them across previous cycles. And I think it really helped to calm the waters. We already had a lot of dialogue with them and, and a long relationship to rely on. You know, additionally, you know, we're the administrative agent in the vast majority of our deals. So, you know, we play a critical role with our bank groups and providing communication across those groups. So that, that was a major focus of ours as well. Mm-hmm. And in our, our September issue of, of Middle Market Growth Magazine, we, we ran a feature about Twinbrook, and a key theme of that article was the importance of the relationship between a lender and sponsor. And, you know, just now you touched on some of the conversations you were having, but can you say more about the role that longstanding relationships played and, and what value deep relationships add in a disruptive period like we're experiencing now? Yeah, I'd say fortunately we came into the pandemic with really strong relationships and really established good information flow with our clients and with our companies. And I think that, you know, just provided a lot of transparency as we were all navigating through the initial, you know, figuring it out, if you will. Uh, real-time information flow, you know, our borrowers and our clients were reacting in real time to the environment. And I think there was enough trust there to share real time with us what they were saying and not having to spend a couple of weeks with the information, curate it, and then bring it back to us. You know, and then, you know, we've been there before with our clients for a lot of our sponsors. We've been through multiple downturns with them. We've been through multiple issues with companies. So there's a big trust factor there and it really is invaluable in an uncertain environment. It's just that added layer of communication. Um, having those lines of communication and trust already developed, I mean, it really allowed us to figure out what the near-term issues were and, and what the requirements were, whether there were liquidity requirements or uh, issues that uh, the client was seeing in the overall general business environment. 
So it sounds like they were a lot more willing to be more forthcoming, having known you and trusted you. Yes, absolutely. It, and that's the value of our business model. The, you know, without having to worry about not having everything sort of put together and curated in a very refined fashion before they want to get on the phone. And in a lot of cases, you know, we're working with them real time and helping them figure out solutions to their issues as well. So if, if it's a liquidity issue, how can we be a part of solving that, you know, providing that solution? Mm-hmm. It's very much a partnership approach. So I want to I want to shift a little and, and ask you about some of the lending and deal trends. Talk about what what lending activity has looked like throughout 2020. Yeah, you know, coming into the pandemic, I mean, I'd say the first quarter was very, you know, normal deal flow coming into the, you know, last week or last couple of weeks of uh, March you really just saw a collapse of the overall capital markets activity. And it's really, that was both on the lender and the sponsor's side in terms of just uh, an overall freezing up of, of general activity. So on the front end of this, just virtually no deals getting done. You've got the lender community in a, you know, preserving capital, whether it's for established sponsor relationships or existing portfolio companies. And I'd say that's really through that whole April, May timeframe. I mean, the second half of Q2, we did see, see some deals getting done. So think about businesses that weren't impacted by the pandemic. And we had a, a number of portfolio companies. They could have even grown through the pandemic or really saw a little impact. And so deals that had that level of performance, I think people were starting to think about looking at, I mean, leverage had definitely come down in the market at least a turn, maybe a turn and a half, in some cases, maybe two turns, you know, and pricing had come up significantly uh, versus pre-pandemic. I'd say we didn't really see the recovery take solid hold until July. Uh, general tone of the market, feel like it changed. I mean, in a lot of cases, lenders and, and sponsors too, I mean, they were beginning to report or see what the results through the second quarter were better than expected in a lot of cases. Portfolio companies were holding up better than expected. And I think it allowed folks to start thinking about, well, what's the back half of the year look like? August and September, quite a bit more of the same. Opening up of the markets, I'd say a bit of risk on with lenders starting to think about, and the sponsors as well, wanting to deploy capital during 2020. And what would that look like? And so I won't say return to normal. The the volumes have not come back, but in terms of getting back to leverage levels that uh, start to mimic pre-pandemic levels, pricing starting to come back in line. You know, interesting stat I was looking at, the third quarter mid-market sponsored lending stats published by Refinitiv. I mean, third quarter uh, was up 72% over Q2, but interesting, it still lags the prior year by 50%. So you can feel what a trough we hit in the second quarter to be followed by a dramatic gain, but we're still 50% in terms of volume lower than the prior year. So there's a lot of room, you know, to continue to move. The good news is the capital on all sides, folks want to deploy it. uh, And so there's a desire to put money to work. I think at this point, it's figuring out, is there enough transaction activity to get done? And in terms of Twinbrook's own activity, how has that compared this year, maybe to, to historical trends? Uh, look, despite the slowdown, we did find opportunities during you know the first couple months 
post the initial downturn of the pandemic to deploy capital. We continue to, to execute around some, you know, several new platform investments, and we made several portfolio add-on acquisitions. As an example, you know, we had a portfolio company. It was already into a sale process pre-pandemic, got put on a little bit of a hold. It was actually going to hold up pretty well. Uh, sponsor decided to continue the sale process. And, you know, we had a deep understanding of that company. We've been financing it since 2015. And it gave us significant confidence around the ability for us to finance that. So we supported that in a sale process, financed the company for the next buyer uh, and allowed that transaction to close. I think it closed in, you know, mid or early, you know, May timeframe. So there, there definitely were deals to get done. Add-on activity, I think, you know, continued during the first couple months of the pandemic. And so we actually provided capital for up to 13 add-on transactions during the first couple months of, of the downturn. Again, I, we circle back to this a lot, but these long-term sponsor relationships are invaluable in that, you know, we have worked with these folks across multiple cycles and in numerous cases, and it just gives us a lot of confidence around their ability to execute, you know, regardless of the economic environment. And I think our ability to look through the macroeconomic trends themselves and really focus on the opportunity itself and look at the specific companies and how they're performing and how we think they'll perform is a significant value we bring to our private equity clients. Mm-hmm. And have you seen deal structures or, or timelines shift as a result of COVID compared to what you were seeing before the pandemic started? I mean, I imagine, especially in the early days, that things were just taking longer, you know, for folks to get comfortable with and with, uh, you know, some of the virtual components to due diligence now. But yeah, talk talk about the changes that you've seen in those respects. Yeah, I, you know, th- those you know, almost follow the timeline we talked about a little bit before. I'd say, you know, as we head towards the end of the year, I think deal structures have really started to mimic what we saw pre-COVID. So in terms of leverage and uh, overall structures and timelines, we're really moving back into a pre-COVID environment. You know, in terms of timelines, I haven't seen that shift dramatically. You know, we're certainly heading into the back half of the year. So there's a desire or an earnest to to move transactions along relatively quickly if they're looking to close by year end. And, and all that feels pretty normal to me as well. I, I think we're back into expedited closing timelines. So, you know, folks managing quick turns around uh, diligence processes and the desire to close quickly. So that is actually an environment we do pretty well in. You know, we, again, have a, a lot of confidence around the clients that we work with on a regular basis. So our ability to move quickly with them, both on a diligence front, but, you know, we've got a lot of standard documentation with them. So that moves the legal documentation process along and it really provides a lot of advantages for having, you know, already worked with, with folks. I'd say in the summer, we did see some things slow down and it's a little bit of a, almost a wait and see approach. If somebody was interested in, in a particular uh, platform, you know, the ability to see a few months, a few more months and see how that performed during the downturn was, you know, a pretty good advantage. There is some creativity that's happening around, you know, the impact of COVID and how do you view that? So, you know, we are seeing platforms come to market that are performing really well now, but have a blip of, you know, two to three months. And we are seeing the market look at that and say, can we discount the impact of that? Or do you start to look at, 
you know, Q3 performance and start to annualize that based upon a more of a historical normalization. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to the idea of relationships. Um, you've touched on it a couple times here, and and there's a, a quote for you in the in the magazine story where you said that you know Twinbrook really self selects to work with firms that value their relationships with lenders. So I wondered if you could talk about what that looks like in practice and and what you're looking for from the sponsors you you partner with. You mentioned earlier some of the transparency elements, but say a little bit more that about that and and for a sponsor listening, you know, how they can maybe adjust their own behaviors to to be a better partner. Yeah, I think part of it starts with thinking about what our value prop is in the on the front end. So I think we start with a partnership approach. So whether we're managing an existing relationship or we're thinking about developing a new one, you know, our our goal is to become one of a two to three primary lending relationships. So we're always thinking beyond just a single transaction. I mean, our, our goal isn't to close one deal and that's the last one we, we do with a client. So we invest a lot of time up front, you know, around understanding a client's investment thesis and and you know allows us to you know quickly scale and 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 provide a lot of flexibility to them across investment horizons. I, you know we are looking for uh, with clients that we want to develop that relationship. We're looking for the ability to get involved up front with them in terms of uh, initially spending a lot of time with us around diligence. Um, we do not typically have the most aggressive terms in the market, or we're not necessarily looking to be the highest leverage all the time, although we try to be market. Um, and we're not always the cheapest financing out there. So we are looking for clients that value that flexibility. So for a lot of our sponsors, these are very active investments, uh, and they're really looking to build out and scale a platform. So they might have three or four different levers they want to pull over the horizon across a two to three year period. Uh, one of those is always typically an M&A strategy. And so they want a lender that can, again, scale up quickly with them, provide incremental capital, but also move pretty quickly. Some of the timelines on those can be you know, pretty short. If we've got a sponsor out there that doesn't place a high value on that, then that it's probably not a great fit. I think what we're always selling is being flexible, having a solutions-focused approach to the market, I think in numerous cases, we try to drive value at the exit as well when we finance a transaction for the next buyer. So all of those things are the value we try to bring to the transaction, uh, which we think, you know, overall helps drive their returns as much as at times rate or some of the terms inherent in, you know, that might be out in the market in, in general. You know, we've closed deals now with 81 different sponsors here at Twinbrook. And I would say, you know, a lot of them we did bring as prior relationships from, you know, our prior firms, but we've also developed a lot of new relationships as well. Uh, So our our goal is to continue to grow that out. uh, And and we spent a lot of time trying to do that. I think you do have to focus on making sure that there's a good fit, both in how we view credit and how our sponsors view credit, but also in terms of the value prop and ultimately, Overall, if the value they place around the flexibility or the ability to scale or that partnership approach is not there, then we we probably aren't the greatest fit for them. So it sounds like someone who's coming in and, and thinking about lending more as a commodity 
this is Twinbrook is not the partner. It's for people who really want to look to have a, a deeper relationship and, and to work together on things. Yeah, absolutely. I always say, I mean, we, we sell the biggest commodity in, in, in the world. I mean, it's at the end of the day, we're providing uh, financing, but it's, you know, there's a lot of providers out there. And so, I mean, we've over time, I think, tried to differentiate ourselves with a very consistent approach to the market, regardless of economic cycle a very predictable and consistent investment approach. Uh, and so we've got a senior leadership team that's been together for well in excess of a decade in most cases, long-term commitment to the lower middle market and the sponsored community. And, and I think over time that that has created a lot of value for our clients and helped differentiate what is otherwise, you know, a pretty undifferentiated market at times. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, you know, clients that you you have longstanding relationships with and, and who you and your colleagues have worked with through, you know, previous economic downturns and, and crises, the Great Recession and, and earlier. Um, I'm curious if there are lessons that you've learned from past recessions that have proven useful in, in the current environment. You know, I think it's an ongoing theme here, but one of the most important lessons we we certainly took out of the the last downturn in the great recession was just the importance of the sponsor relationship and and the impact that has around a positive outcome so there's the expertise and the management resources that our clients bring to bear on these transactions is just a significant driver of of overall outcomes and so there certainly is a part of our thesis as we work with sponsors is There's a committed pool of capital that is available to support liquidity, but I always say probably more important and and a bigger driver of outcomes is just the ability to manage companies, uh, assess management teams, and and make changes as they need to be. So we're very reliant on that group, and I think we've had the, the benefit over the years of really assessing groups out in the market and really determining, you know, who are the best groups to work with. And that, that has had significant impact on our outcomes. I'd say another big lesson is just be patient. And I think we always have been, but, you know, we get focused on the front end, certainly making sure that, you know, these companies have the right liquidity solution or that, you know, if there are issues that there's a broad plan and how that's being addressed. But after that, in a lot of cases, you know, in, in some cases, you're just dealing with a macroeconomic issue and we just need to be patient and wait for those things to play out a little bit and we'll get to the other side. And so trying to drive quicker outcomes at times, you know, can actually be detrimental to having a good outcome. And I'd say lastly, you know, bank groups, you know, matter, you know, the composition of the bank groups matter. We're the admin agent on uh, 90 plus percent of our deals. And so I think we feel like that helps us drive better outcomes both for our clients, but for ourselves. But you know, we're also cognizant of you know who's in our lines in terms of a participant and what those bank groups look like because uh, we've historically probably seen as many issues created by not having a cohesive bank group as we have from you know not driving a good outcome with our client. Hmm. So my last question for you, you know, as we were we're in the end of the year now and in, in the final stretch, but you know, as you look back on 2020, are there industries that you'd point to as as having been particularly resilient? I'd, I'd start with saying, you know, overall, 
I think we've seen a great deal of resilience out of our portfolio. And, you know, for the most part, we've certainly seen the impact to our portfolio that I think we've all been, you know, pretty happy with how it's all held up. And, you know, for the most part, our borrowers were typically deemed critical, you know, suppliers. And so with some of the shutdowns that happened initially, we weren't generally impacted by that. Certainly saw a lot of resilience from businesses that, which we do focus on, you know, recurring revenue business models, such as software and the financial services and, you know, packaging and critical commercial industrial services held up well. And, you know, for the most part, our manufacturing, you know, platforms also held well. Not, not surprising. I mean, anything in the travel or kind of that human congregation, if you will, you know, segment of the market were, you know, hit pretty hard. So think about ground transportation services or anything dealing with events, whether you're running events or you're supplying things into events. Uh, gyms and restaurants, retail have been disproportionately affected. I think those are going to be longer term recoveries. Okay, we'll leave it there. Rich, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. You're welcome. And thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or Google Play, where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Please email them to editor at acg.org. I'd also encourage you to check out our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more content covering the middle market, private capital investment, and trends in middle market M&A.